Oh, snap, snap, snap. The world is finally waking up to the crap that's baked into and sprayed on kibble dog food. No longer can commercial pet food manufacturers fool us with pretty pictures and false promises. This is the raw dog food truth. The view and opinions expressed on this podcast are not intended to replace medical advice. Before starting any raw diet, do research, ask lots of questions, and consult your vet. Well, hello, raw feeders. I'm Dee Dee Mercer Moffat, the CEO of Raw Dog Food and Company, where your pet's health is our business. We're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. Well, today is a very special episode. As you guys have heard, Neely and I talk about Dr. Tom Cowan. He is joining us today, so we're very excited. Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Cowan. He's been one of the leading voices speaking out against the mainstream medical narrative, which is why we love him so much. But he's uh, a well-known alternative medicine doctor, author, and speaker with a common sense holistic approach to health and wellness. He's given countless lectures and workshops throughout the U.S. on a variety of subjects in health and medicine. He's the author of six best-selling books, which Neely has all of them. But uh, some of his books are The Contagion Myth. Uh, vaccines, autoimmunity, and the changing nature of childhood illness. And this one that I have, and I refer to many times, cancer and the new biology of water. For 34 years, Dr. Cowan had a general medical practice, first in upstate New York, then in New Hampshire, and also in San Francisco. He is also the vice president of the Weston A. Price Foundation. And uh, you guys have heard me talk about that. You need to find the Weston A. Price Foundation and uh, start following them. Uh, But Dr. Cowan, you have retired after uh, 34 years, and now you're helping people live better, healthier lives uh, through Dr. Cowan's garden and the new biology clinic that we're going to talk about. But first, I want to ask you about... The chairman of the board, Pumpkin. How is Pumpkin doing? Pumpkin is doing well. He's uh, he's the only one of our animals. We have six chickens, four cats, and we're about to get three goats on Sunday. Two baby dwarf goats and an adult, but not their mother. Um, and Pumpkin is the only one who comes inside. He, no he doesn't like mingling with the rabble anymore. Uh, so he comes inside and comes and goes as he pleases. But mostly in the day, he sleeps on the bed. And then he goes out most of the evening and night. Now, what, um, you know, I've, I've he listened- loves that that whole rabbit stuff. We, we send Dr. Cowan some whole ground rabbit. We've sent you a lot of different uh, blends. Yeah. And as we have said, trying to figure out cats is difficult, yeah. right? They're, they're very different than dogs. Um, and they're so cool. So we had a cat that lived 21 years. And uh, so Pumpkin's going to probably live a very long life. Yeah, pump, Pumpkin, he, he eats mostly um, ground beef and venison that's his and he eats a lot of organ meats he likes like ground heart and liver from this grass-fed biodynamic farmer neighbor and then then he he eats your stuff 
and occasionally he'll eat a, a chicken like foot. You know, he likes to chew on the bone. He eats the bone till nothing. And so, see, people, cats can eat bones just fine without having any problems. <laughs> yeah, they they're they're sort of raw, but I, I occasionally will heat up the food just just so it's not like freezer cold. You know, not cooked, but just like literally seconds just to warm it. Yeah, it is. It is very cold still coming out of the refrigerator. Yeah. But what what uh, so I understand that you really were never into like dogs and cats. But then you've got you've got these cats. How, why did you get cats in the first place? So we moved to upstate New York uh, and we you know, the the plan was to make a huge garden. I'm a big gardening fan and raise animals. I mean, you know, I, I mean, sure, partly for self-sufficiency reasons, but frankly, you know, there's a lot of farmers around here and it's, it's not like, like we're going to not have food if we don't raise our own animals. But we just thought for, that we had the, we had the land. And so we built a barn and we built two fences and we have about an acre fenced in garden and a big greenhouse and then we have another a barn with a loft, which has all these sort of the apartment complex for the cats. And then <laughs> we got chickens. Somebody gave us chickens. So we have a little chicken house and they give us eggs. And then we thought we needed cats for mice. And I thought when I got these cats that I would never see them. They would be out in the barn and they would eat the mice. And maybe I would feed them or I don't know. I just, I just would have no interest. I thought cats were kind of weird or just, I don't, I don't know what I thought. But quickly Pumpkin decided to come and hang out with me, not my wife. Like he would walk right past her and come up to me and want to be held and Next thing you know, Pumpkin and, I, uh, Pumpkin and I were like best friends. Follow me to the garden and sit on my lap. And I would say, Pumpkin, you know, you got to eat mice and eat, catch a few mice, but mostly not because we overfeed them probably. <laughs> uh, but, you know, his sister, Fluffy, they, they, she, she's a great mouser. She catches mice all the time. Uh, and then they had children, which was weird. Um, <laughs> uh, but I tell you, the interesting thing is uh, we've given, they had 12 children. Uh, we've given away 10 of them. And so we still have Lucy and PJ. PJ is Pumpkin Jr., mm -hmm. who looks just like Pumpkin. And those 10 or so, everybody we've given them to said they were the best cats they ever had. And these were people who often had cats. And, and I don't know what it is. I, I just know that I do. They've, they've had no trauma, really, except the only time they went anywhere was to to drive in the car over to our place, which they had to do that. And then they're here and we, we're very consistent. Like we go out at seven o'clock every morning with our bowl of you know ground liver and your stuff and and occasionally raw milk which we heat up to room temperature which we put an uh, uh, an egg yolk in it and that's 
and occasionally we give them uh, like freeze dried liver, you know, or salmon, wild salmon. That's it. And they have a nice place. They have, you know, hay bales in a loft. So there's all kinds of hubbies and stuff. And then we have a sauna space incandescent red light, which is so when it's really cold, they actually like to hang out in front of that. And they can go anywhere. They hop the fence and go in the woods and go wherever they want to go. And pumpkin now comes in and out. And so they, you know, they, and so we go out at seven, we go out at six in the evening, feed them, hang out with them. There's the chickens there. Pumpkin's afraid of the chickens, but Buffy will swat them if, <laughs> just for fun sometimes. <laughs> like they don't even do anything. She'll just walk up and go whap. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, that's just, they just seem friendly and I don't know. And so Pumpkin, he's, he's so communicative and he, he, he's my little guy. So that's all I can say. That's awesome. One of the things I say a lot is, um, people get so wrapped up in their dog and are like, oh, they're my fur babies or my children. And I understand what they mean, but they don't respect the dog being a dog. And so they treat yeah. him like a little kid. And I I would be willing to bet that part of the reason that the um, people that were lucky enough to get one of your kittens is that you have allowed the cat to be the cat and respected them for who they are and also started them out on a proper diet, which you know, most people go running to the vet and like, what do I do? What do I feed them? And of course they get multiple vaccines and worming yeah. and kibble and all that stuff. So, so that's a fantastic start for, for, um, yeah. I mean, for, we interact with them, you know, well, but my, my, I mean, I don't know anything about animals, really. I, I never so. But my approach was always to let Pumpkin decide and let all of them decide. If they want me to pick them up, I'll pick them up. If they don't want me to touch them, I'm not going to touch them. If they want to go off and not come home for a day, you know, Pumpkin did that a lot. I, you know, that's just his choice. I, I don't know if it's a choice, but... That's he decided and he wants to climb a tree. He climbs a tree. If you now, if he wants to come in, he comes in. And if it, the reason we did that was because once they had the babies, uh, pumpkin didn't want anything to do with the barn. He just mm -hmm. didn't want to have. And then he was in the greenhouse under a light. And I just thought when it was like below zero, that it was too cold for him. So he would come and sit at the door. So we let him in. And next thing you know, he liked that and but even still i think you're right i mean i he just does you know he he does what he wants and we interact with him based on what he says to interact you know and now i mean i can i can rub his belly and massage his belly and he you know in the beginning you couldn't touch him there he was not into that so i just do what what he seems to want me to do. That's how I approach it. I love it. So Dr. Cowan, you sounds like 
correct me if I'm wrong, that you've taken your understanding of the body, the human body, which I want to talk about uh, your new biology clinic here in a second and why you came up with that and applied that to the cats. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't sound like you have taken them to get their vaccines and their flea and tick and their heartworm. Um, So, and this is something that a lot of our pet parents really, really um, have an issue with. Uh, They're very afraid to push back on their vets. One of the reasons that we do the podcast is to try to help people understand uh, maybe what's not so good about those things and to give them some courage to push back. But as you know, the medical uh, industry is, uh, well, it's like that big old tidal wave, you know, and you're trying to, you're trying to maneuver, but is that what you did? You just applied what you know about the humans to the cats as well? Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm sure you can uh, you know this, but once you start getting somebody like me talking about their cat, like it's uh, like that's the end of. But but I do have two stories about this that I think answer your question. The, and these are I, I can say uh, that I've learned more from Pumpkin about how to be a better person than just about anybody I know, and including probably a better doctor, even though I'm not a doctor really anymore. But so let me tell you the first story. So we, they eat on a, like a box, right? So they sit, they get on the box and we bring out the food, my wife and I, we put it in their bowl and then they eat it. And then pumpkin would often let us know that he wanted more food if we, and sometimes we had some and, but in the way he did it was so interesting. He would, he rarely like meows or s- says anything, right? Just doesn't. Occasionally will. But he'll, he would sit there near his ball, look at us and meow. Like, I want more food. It was clear. And I would then respond and say, well, Pumpkin, we don't have any more food. You know, we didn't bring any more food out. And, you know, here I am like, this sort of grown man. And here's what I noticed about that. He never interrupted me. He would look at me and I would say my piece, like I don't have any more food and you've had enough or whatever reason. And he would wait for the whole thing. And then he would go, meow. Like, I hear you, but I'm still hungry. So give me more food. And then I would say whatever I was going to say. And he never once interrupted me. He would sit there and watch me, wait till I finished. And then he'd go, meow, because he didn't agree. He just thought I was wrong and he wanted more food. And you think about that in when you're talking to people, right? There's this sort of interrupting and arguing and nobody listened to. He clearly listened to me, but he didn't agree. And I thought that's such an amazing model of communication strategy. And he always did that. Uh, and, and then I mostly fed him. So it seemed to work. And the other one, which is more to your point. So I told Pumpkin, my mother used to tell me, she said, oh, you should go to the doctor every once in a while. Uh, and I, I said, or regularly. I said, I do. I went in 1984 when I started residency. I They had a physical exam, so I went. And then I have an appointment in 2034. 
<laughs> and with an old guy, in case he dies, then I don't have to go to the appointment. So that's regular, like 50, uh, 50 years, I go to the doctor. If he dies, I'll skip it, and hopefully then I'll go in 2084. Uh, so I told Pumpkin when he came here, Pumpkin, you're going to the vet the day after I go to the doctor. <laughs> so, and we've kept our word. Now, here's that. Here's where it gets interesting. So one day, Pumpkin doesn't come back. And then he comes back the next day and he's got a big slit in his ear. Like, I don't know if he got in a fight or a branch or something. Big old gouge out of his ear. And I looked at it and, you know, what am I going to do? It didn't seem to bother him. He seemed totally fine. So, okay. So the next day, you know, he doesn't come back and I don't know what happened to him. He comes back the following day and his entire ear was hard as a rock just complete his ear was completely hard as a rock and it's still he seemed fine he ate and didn't seem to bother him and i thought well that's interesting but you know like i didn't do anything i didn't put peroxide and <laughs> do anything because i couldn't anyways you know if i even if i wanted to he he probably wouldn't let me uh so okay so I said, Pumpkin, just take care of yourself. So he goes off. Didn't see him for two days, thinking he's probably dead in the woods. From a, And then he comes back the next day, and now his entire ear is basically an abscess, and full of pus. And again, I didn't do anything, because what am I going to do? And he, he doesn't go anywhere. And and he seemed fine. He didn't, he, see, he ate and let you know whatever played is and then again i didn't see him for a day comes back maybe two days later and all you see is a little spot there and it must have drained and took taken care of himself now here's the thing you know i worked in an er for 10 years and had a practice for 35 years i never once saw anybody with a abscessed ear who we didn't drain it and put antibiotics in. I mean, even in my practice, I probably wouldn't have done that. I didn't see anybody who had that. But in the ER, so my point is, most doctors, and I would dare to say all doctors, have never seen what happens to that situation. Like I would have, I would have had no idea what happens if somebody's entire ear is just pus? Because that's what it was with pumpkin. I, I would have thought, well, it may spread to their brain, or I don't know what'll happen. But I what I couldn't do anything. You know, I I mean, I show. I guess I could have tried to capture them or something, but I didn't. And now, you know, it's like a year and a half later. Of course, you can't even tell which ear it is. And he's had a few other things like that. I don't know if he what happens but you know it just you i see things in him which i never saw in my medical practice we never didn't treat anybody with draining it and giving them antibiotics or vitamin c or something but it didn't give anything so, so except appropriate food <laughs> say that again niels except appropriate food <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he still seemed to eat, and we gave him food, and he's out in the sunshine, or sometimes, you know, and he's 
on the earth and he's playing with his friends who he, he thinks are beneath him now. Um, <laughs> but he, he seemed fine and he didn't seem worried about it. He didn't even like scratch it, right? Like I thought he would bother him, but he didn't. And so I didn't do anything about it. And he seemed fine. And yeah, there's, there's, you know, so I don't know if uh, that, those are, the, there's a lot of other things that I've seen with them now. These, you, you see with, I think you see with animals who are, quote, well cared for, they just heal. I mean, they get injuries, right? They, he got in a fight, I think. You know, that is one thing that we don't seem to have, um, Dr. Cowan, is a control group with people or with pets, yeah. right? Um, now, we do with my my animals, Neely's animals, Dr. Jasics, our entire team, um, we don't put toxins in their body, right? As you would say, we've stopped poisoning our pets in the traditional veterinary manner. Yeah. And, and what we do see is a lot of pets coming through here that are very ill, right? And cancer certainly on the rise. And after, um, you know, the last three years that we've all endured and lived through, um, I think one thing that has come about is is the people that are awake and that want to learn are seeing that, that possibly uh, these toxins that we're putting in the body that are supposedly to make us healthy are causing us to be very, very sick. Yeah, it's incredibly common to see almost every dog we see has some form of vaccine damage or neurological damage from a flea and tick medication or all these things that they call quote unquote preventative, which don't prevent anything. But, um, you know, the veterinary industry is very similar to the medical industry, but I think it's even worse because the, it takes even longer for things to trickle down from the human perspective to the animal perspective. And then veterinarians end up with, you know, there'll be drugs that the human industry has thrown out. So they just send them down to the veterinary industry. And who's going to know if they don't really work, you know, it's not. So it's, um, and people are so married to that oh my gosh i have to do something i have to fix it and i'm like no leave it alone leave it alone yeah i mean pumpkin does get ticks uh we have a lot of ticks here and i'd say in the summer spring i pull off two to five ticks a day off him and he seems to a let me do it and b they don't seem to bother him right I mean, I don't even know if I have to do it, but it's just weird with he's got these black things all over him. So I pull him off and he do, he lets me do it. So let me ask you a question. Did it ever enter your mind to give him flea and tick medication? Never. And, <laughs> and, tell, and tell us why. Well... I don't, you know, just let me say, I know very little about what is actually, what those things are, or what they, or animal medicine, right? I, I, I never really looked into it, um, but I assume even if they're nat, quote, natural, like pyrethrum or something, I, I don't even know what they are. First of all, I don't see any need for it. 
And second of all, um, I'm sure they're toxic stuff. You know, I I have a, a story, which unfortunately I can't find the reference anymore, but it goes to even, even things like fleas, ticks, and lice. I mean, pumpkin gets ticks, like I said, but they don't seem to bother. But there was a story about um, lice. So they had this study where they put 12 different people, men and women of different professions, and they had them sit around a round table. And they put a louse in the middle of the table. And then they they, they just let the louse go to whoever they wanted to. So there was a plumber, an electrician, and a hairdresser, and a, a couple doctors and lawyers and all that. And no matter where they sat, the louse always went and jumped on the head of the psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> and that convinced me that the louse was eating toxic thoughts that were probably emanating out of the head of the psychiatrist, because that's... I think the only kind of thoughts in most psychiatrists had. Uh, so I think even ticks and, and lice, I mean, ticks and fleas, and they, they're there because there's something wrong. They're eating something toxic coming out of the animal. I, mm-hmm. I can't prove that, but that's what I think. And so if I saw that, I would change their straw or change their food or change their water or you know put an emf remediation device in their barn or something because or i mean we don't spray anything on our fields and they're in the garden all the time they're they they because there's mice living underneath the, the straw so they love to play in the garden you know so we- maybe they don't like if we put how manure, I don't know what it is, but. You know, we've often said uh, with your work and um, we we want people to go over and, and listen to your talks on germ theory versus terrain theory. And Neely and I have talked about that a lot. But the question is, if that's really true and there aren't any viruses, What's going to happen to the rabies vaccine? What's going to happen to the canine influenza uh, vaccine? All of these vaccines would have to go away if, in fact, there aren't any real viruses. So probably not going to happen in the veterinary world, wouldn't you say, Dr. Cowan? I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. What I do know is that there is no evidence that there is such a thing called a virus zero there the you know i mean i i don't know that i need to walk through the whole thing here but there's no evidence of contagion from any study ever between animals or people there's no study showing that filtered secretions in other words if you take uh the mucus of somebody or the blood of an animal or a person or the snot or the bronchial fluid and filter it so you have just the liquid part where which would contain the virus and expose that to another animal or person in a in a normal way which means not inject it in their brain or put it into their lungs through a, a intubation tube which is ridiculous 
there's no study that shows that caused illness. So that's the first thing. Then there's no study showing any particle that you could call a virus in any biological fluid of any animal or person, including rabies. Rabies I happen to have looked into. There's not one paper uh, describing the a particle that could be called a virus that meets the definition of a virus in any fluid of any animal with rabies. And by the way, Mike Wallach actually got from the CDC, and I don't remember the exact numbers, the last, I think it was like 62 cases of rabies in the U.S., something like 54 had no contact with any animal in the previous six months. So it has nothing to do with animals. Anybody who says that they got sick from being bitten by a rabid animal, that that proves it's a virus, they must be saying that the only thing in a bite from an animal who's not doing well is a virus, right? There's no enzymes, there's no proteins, there's no fear related to that event. There's no anything else but simply a virus. And interestingly, you can prove there's enzymes and proteins and fear associated with that event, right? Because you can see them. The only thing you can't prove that's in that saliva is a virus because you cannot find it. And the way they isolate a virus is the epitome of absurdity because they take unpurified stuff, mix it on a cell culture, poison and starve the cell culture. And by some quirk of language, they call that isolation of a virus. I mean, that's the most absurd inversion of language orwell would be proud so <laughs> so there is no evidence that any of those illnesses and i frankly like i said i don't know much about canine whatever it's called but I, if there is no chance it's a virus zero there's no chance it's contagious in the sense of the secretions of one animal causing another animal to be sick there is every likelihood that they're being starved or poisoned in a similar way. You know, mm -hmm. e even something like chickenpox, the height of the chickenpox situation in the U.S. had to do with um, a lot of maybe a bunch of things. But one of them was people were using wallpaper that was impregnated with, uh, with arsenic-based paint. And the arsenic paint was, you know what do you call it, leaching out or uh, evaporating into the air and causing rashes in sick children. So it, it, there's a common exposure, which is why people think if you people who get sick in the same place have the same, are transmitting an illness. But you have to remember, I mean, for hundreds of years, they thought scurvy was, was a transmissible illness and the reason this matters is they had sailors, one after another got sick, their teeth fell out, they went into failure, whole thing. So what did they do? They quarantined them. And you know what happened? They died. And you know what would have helped them? Eating a lemon. Like that would have solved the problem, which is why anybody who says, oh, this is irrelevant, this doesn't matter what the cause of illness is, 
you know, this is whatever. It's ridiculous. Of course it matters. I agree. I'm with you. I think it's one of the most important things to, for people to understand, because like you said, if, if we don't stop this, they're going to use that over and over and over again. And we have to have to draw the line somewhere. There is one thing I, there's you'll never figure out why those dogs got sick because you think it's a virus. So you don't look at the food and the, the fact that they never get to run around and people are abusing them and, they putting flea medicine. And by the way, there are many, many doctors in the early part of this century who said they never saw a case of cancer until they start vaccinating people. 100% believe that. 100%. Cancer is a vaccine complication. And m- my opinion about all vaccines, including human and animal ones, is simple. There is no possibility of benefit. None. And everybody who gets a vaccine or animal is harmed. Period. That's it. There's no gray area here. Some people have more harm, right? They get really sick right away. And other people, you don't see much. But there is no chance of doing the normal vaccines, human or animals, and not being harmed. No chance. And, and no benefit, no possible benefit ever. I, I say that every single time I'm on the podcast. I say those exact words every time. So yeah, there is, that's as, as clear and simple as you can make it. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, uh, what is so crazy, Dr. Cowan, is that you can't take a cat or a dog in for a spay, neuter, or a dental without the clinic saying you must get your vaccines updated. You must vaccinate your pet. So a lot of pet parents will go ahead and just do it. Or if they're trying to take them to a groomer, a trainer, you know, um, a, a boarding facility. And to me, it's just like, you just cannot put your animal in that situation. Right. Don't put them in that situation because you are going to have issues down the road. But I I just don't think that. Well, I think that the narrative is so strong uh, that vaccines, poisons, as we try to say uh, on the podcast, that poisons are going to make your dog healthier. And they just buy into it. Well, and I don't know what people like that should do except not go to those things but it's can be tricky and then i would say just make it up I, we I say, say that all the time yeah, that's just, what I, do. I mean it and you say well that's not very moral or whatever but i mean if you're in a situation of The only thing I care about in that situation, frankly, is that cat or dog or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't care about the 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 connection with the vet. I don't care. I don't care if they're going to do that. I don't care about their license. I don't care about their livelihood. I care about pumpkin. And you're not going to do that. And whatever I need to do to have that happen, I'm going to do it. Bravo. Love it. Love it. Love it. We say that all the time. We say, learn to lie. So I haven't fed kibble. <laughs> I haven't fed kibble in 23 years. 
<laughs> and uh, and and neither has as Neely. And my German Shepherd, uh, she ripped her leg open, so it had to be sewn up. So I took her to the emergency, and they said, "What do you feed?" And I said, "Kibble." And they said, is she totally vaccinated? I said, absolutely, which is totally a lie, right? Because I, and they were like, great, um, because yeah. I know the game, right? And if you go in- You can always say, say the dog ate your vaccine card. <laughs> yeah. We used to yeah. do that in elementary school. You know, the dog ate my homework. Yeah. So just say your dog ate the vaccine card. Right. We, we put kibble on it and the dog just ate it right up, you know? What do you uh, want from it? You'd probably be better if you said, I, I feed a prescription diet. They'd be like, right on, you know? Yeah. Oh, um, my gosh. But, but we do that. And we try to tell our pet parents, don't tell your vets that you're feeding a raw diet. Because once you do that, that's the whole cause. That's the You're whole the cause of your dog or cat's illness, right? Mm -hmm. There's salmonella, there's E. coli, there's this, there's that. And so one of the things that we always talk about is bacteria. And again, back to Dr. Cowan, you need to listen to Dr. Cowan and understand about bacteria. So let me ask you this question. You let pumpkin go out, eat, you, and you encourage him and you tell him, hey, go get you some mice. Yeah, um, he doesn't listen to me, but. <laughs> no. Um, in fact, but... there's a mouse eating the greenhouse plants. <laughs> and I tell him, pumpkin, this is your job. And he just looks at me like, anyways. So there'll be no coming inside for you till you get that mouse. Yeah. I've been promoted. It's somebody else's job to do that now. Yeah, that's what he said. <laughs> tell yeah. PJ to do it. Yeah. All right. So here's the question. Um, you're not worried about bacteria. Why not? Oh, pumpkin, you got to cook that. that <laughs> exactly. Bad pumpkin. <laughs> you know, and here's what they say, Dr. Callen. We hear this argument all the time. Dogs and cats have been domesticated and they have evolved to eat all this processed sphincter food, as I call it, uh, on the market, right? They've evolved to eat it. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's a bunch of crap. That is just total bullshit. <laughs> that's what we say. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. I mean, I don't know what to say about that. It's no. there is no, there is absolutely zero evidence for any such nonsense. Tell so, people about, um, so, you know, everybody thinks that you get a quote unquote bacterial infection and that bacteria cause illness and all that. So explain, um, I say it a lot to you, but maybe coming from you, people might listen a little bit harder. <laughs> explain, explain what bacteria actually do, because people are terrified of it. So people need to answer the following question. You know, if, if, if you were attempting to be logical about you know what causes something right so you do as an example does uh you know and this this so-called scientific method is dependent on finding a dependent variable and an independent variable and what that means to put it in plain english is the dependent variable is the effect and the independent variable is the thing you vary to see what causes the effect. So just a simple example. 
you have a, a nail in a wall. The effect is the nail goes into the wall. The independent variable is if I hit the nail with a hammer, does that cause the nail to go into the wall? That's that's what we're looking for. Why does the nail go into the wall? That's a dependent variable. My hypothesis is hitting it with this object called a hammer will make that happen, right? So you hit the wall, the thing with the hammer, the nail. If it goes in, it does. And if it doesn't go in, it doesn't. And then you might say, well, I need a control here. How do you know it wasn't the movement of my arm going like this that m pushed the nail in, right? It's, that's ridiculous. But So you could do it without a hammer, right? Take the nail and go like this. doesn't go in. Then you do it with a hammer and it goes in. Now, you wouldn't do that by putting by taking the whole toolbox and hitting the, the nail with the toolbox, which may or may not contain a hammer. If you did that, you would have to say it's the toolbox that made the, the nail go in or not, not a hammer, because you don't even know if there's a hammer in there, right? So that's called thinking. <laughs> Oops, we got a problem. <laughs> right. There's no now, thinking if you, anymore. If you apply that to bacteria, you say the dependent variable is the animal gets sick, like diarrhea, right? That's the effect. So the hypothesis is this salmonella bacteria causes the diarrhea. That's the hammer. So obviously you can't have salmonella in a pile of dog poop and feed the animal dog poop and then see if they get sick and then blame it on the salmonella because it might be something else in the dog poop. Right. That's like hitting it with a with the toolbox. So you'd have to isolate the salmonella. And so you would only give an animal salmonella and see if they get got sick. Right. That's the hammer. Now, with viruses, you can't even do the experiment because you can't find and purify a virus. So you can't even find the hammer. In fact, you don't even know that there is a hammer. <laughs> so they had to make up the fact that there's a hammer and give it all sorts of properties, like it's an intracellular parasite. Well, how do you know if you haven't, if you have, and it's got a genome. How do you know if you've never seen it? It's, it's like the argument I sometimes use. I know why all those buildings in the Ukraine are being, are, are demolished. It's because there's invisible exploding unicorns. So how do you know that? Uh, have you ever seen an invisible exploding unicorn? No, because they're invisible. You can't see them. <laughs> so how do you know that they're causing the buildings to get blown up? Because the buildings are blown up. How can you say that it's not from... In, well, can you see them? No, they're invisible. Well, then how do you know it's the unicorn? Because the buildings are blown up. So that's the way it goes. With viruses, it's, yeah, but they got sick. Yeah, but you didn't see the virus. Well, but they got, they argue whether the person got sick or not, or the dog. So that's ridiculous. With bacteria, you can actually see the salmonella. So now it's a little different. You have a hammer, and then you, you can purify it, 
and give it to an animal. And as far as we can tell, there's not one study that shows the animal gets sick. In the history of published science, not one. So it's not the salmonella. It's something else in the water or in the air or in the food or in the environment or something or in the emotional whatever. It's not the salmonella. We've proven that. So then you say, well, what are those bacteria doing there? Uh, mostly they're just living just because they eat stuff that's in that food or whatever that's there. And then they you see more of them because bacteria live on dead and dying tissue. So, for instance, if you take an animal or and you poison it with arsenic, they get dead tissue. And then the bacteria come to bioremediate the area. And then it's like saying firemen cause fires. You see more of them. And there is a case that sometimes the bacteria, because they're living things, they make their own toxins. So that might cause a problem or cause congestion in the area. But that's that's rare. It's mostly they're just... They're just actually helping out by eating dead and dying tissue. And the reason you see the more pathogenic so-called ones is because there's worse toxicity. So if everything's fine, you'll just see normal. So, And then when you poison the animal, they get a lot of, you know, toxic debris. And then you get the, the sort of more aggressive kind of organism, bacteria, feeding off the dead tissue. And that explains everything you see. Everything. It even explains why antibiotics seem to work because you're because part of this bioremediation process causes inflammation and redness, etc. And so if you kill the bacteria, you stop the healing process. Mm -hmm. And then it will happen again or You'll form a tumor or something, which is what antibiotics are known to do. And that makes perfect sense, too, because you have it's like you go to a log and you got fungus growth. So you say the log has a fungal infection. It's ridiculous. The log is, is breaking down and the fungus are biodegrading the, the dead parts of the log. You don't treat that by killing the fungus. I mean, doctors do, but a and vets. And and you know, you know how they. So the FDA, the FDA has a zero tolerance policy in the raw dog food industry for bacteria. So what they and do, for, and for the human, um, there's a tolerance for the the human line, but for the dog food line, there's zero tolerance. It's completely ridiculous. It's like they're trying to kill all the dogs. So they go in. It's their job. Yeah. <laughs> the, right. Agreed. They they go in. They do a swab. It is a pass or fail. Okay. It's a pass or fail. It doesn't say what strain or what the benchmark or even they don't even understand, you know, what the salmonella is doing there. And then they will make you do a recall. So what they're trying to do right now, Dr. Cowan, is they're really trying to push everybody to go into this high pressure pasteurization type food, which is, you know, killing off all bacteria, which we say we're going to have some pretty sick dogs, I think, if that if yeah. that goes. 
I mean, that's like, you know, I mean, half of my diet is fermented food, which is, you know, either raw milk or sauerkraut or, you know, cultured bacteria living in the in the food. I mean, if you're afraid of bacteria, you got to hang it up because you can't live in this 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 world. Yep. You 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 are you are profoundly delusional. Thank God somebody else said it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's just, you know, beyond ridiculous. I mean, it, it's in a sense, the virus thing, you know, there's a transition. It's just like with bacteria, according to Pasteur and Koch, the only bacteria in us were pathogens were disease causing there we were otherwise sterile and that lasted until we were on the 60s or 70s which is of course total nonsense and so then there was a transition to summer normal and summer pathogens and that's where we're at now the reality is they're all just part of you you're part of your microbiome so to speak with viruses they they also thought all these particles they see, they're all pathogens. And now some people are saying there's a virome, which means we are inhabited by trillions and quadrillions of different viruses. But that's total nonsense. The, all these viruses are, are these picture, these little particles are breakdown of your own tissue. There is no exogenous particle that infects you, not a virus. Bacteria, they come and go. There's an interaction with the world and the food and the air, and this bacteria actually exist, uh, like fungus actually exists. And so we have fungus and we have parasites. Parasites eat heavy metals and clean up our tissues. So treating I don't know what they give to dogs, you know, with treating parasites, but that's, again, if you try to prove by using thinking, isolate the thing, show that it causes disease, this effect, that's how you, that's called thinking, the scientific method. I can't, I have never run across one study of a microbe shown to do that in a controlled proper experiment not one and we have 20 people looking for the last three years we can't find it so you so this is what i want people to understand you're not just talking out of your backside you have done these tests as i say sphincter i have to say sphincter a couple of times every well, i haven't done the experiments myself right i read i read the studies which is you're very educated on it. So it's not like you're just hypothesizing. They're hypothesizing. They have a hypothesis that this single bacteria causes this effect called disease. That's their hypothesis. It's not even a theory. Now, in or the thing is, there's some things which you can observe yourself, right? Like, you can see a hammer hitting the nail in. And so you can see that of cause and effect. With, with a, a virus, for instance, 
as it's meant to be or a bacteria, you or I don't see that. So you have to do an experiment. You have to do it properly. You have to isolate, have a pure bacteria, because if you have it in a toolbox, then you don't know whether it's the toolbox. So you have to have the bacteria and show that it causes effect and the conditions between exposure of the bacteria versus the part of the experiment where you don't expose to bacteria, they all have to be the same, right? If you're going to squirt bacteria up an animal's nose and show that it gets pneumonia, you have to squirt saline up their nose and show that it doesn't. Otherwise, you don't know whether it's the saline or the act of squirting something up an animal's nose, maybe the fear. You don't know. And if you do it like that, which is the only thing you could call proper logic, rational thinking in science, there is zero evidence that these things called microbes cause disease. Zero. And it's not a hypothesis I'm talking about. They're the ones with the hypothesis. And the hypothesis has been disproven. So it's not a theory. There is no germ theory. There's a germ hypothesis which has been disproven. There's no theory. All right. So let me ask you this. There's 20 of you guys that are doing this work. Why is the rest of the world uh, doing something else that is harmful to people and pets? I mean, you know, people tell me and people I respect, and I agree with this, don't question people's motivation. Don't even comment on it. So I don't know why Joe Blow doctor or vet doesn't understand this. I only know that I didn't understand this either, even three, four years ago. Not like I do now. I had some inkling. Um, and why is that? So here, here's a embarrassing admission. So you showed that or had the book Vaccines and Autoimmune Disease. This is like five years ago. I wrote in there about the measles virus causing measles. And I was wrong. Why did I do that? <laughs> If somebody had asked me the day that book came out, Tom, how do you know or how does a virologist know there's such a thing as a measles virus? You know what the answer would have been? Well, a whole lot of words to try to convince you that I I could bamboozle you into forgetting about that question. But the reality is I didn't know the answer to that. Not only didn't I know if there was a measles virus, I didn't know how you would go about knowing whether there is. And this is somebody who's been a doctor for 35 years, went to medical school, did training, you know, has written that HIV had nothing to do with AIDS. I was deep in this movement. Five years ago, I wrote a book and I could not tell you how a doctor knows whether there's a measles virus or not. So was I a paid disinformation person? If I was, the pay wasn't very good, so I didn't <laughs> keep going. Uh, 
I I was ignorant. I mean, <laughs> what can I say? I mean, I'm not proud of it, but you know, it's like, what can you do? Uh, I, I just I never bothered to read the studies. Nobody told me where to get the studies. Nobody said this is how it's done. Nobody said anything. I just accepted it. And I now think that every mistake that I've made in my career, probably in personal life somewhat, but I'm talking about my career, was because, very simple, I believed what I was told or heard, and I didn't know how to check. I didn't bother to check it myself. Every once in a while, I made lazy mistakes too, but that that's why every single mistake. So everybody out there, if what I would suggest is go to your doctor, go to your vet, say, how do you know there's a rabies virus? I mean, it's a simple question. Every How can you be a, giving somebody a medicine to prevent this virus from hurting you or spreading or whatever, and you don't even know how you know whether it's there or not? Like, that's ridiculous. I guarantee they won't know. And they'll give you, well, they did a PCR test. <laughs> so, okay. So it, that's ridiculous. Because <laughs> a PCR is a looking for a piece of something. You had to have something first in order to find a piece of it. And it, I didn't ask you what the piece is. I asked you how you found the thing first. Now, they won't know. Now, think about that for a minute. Their in, entire career is giving people medicines against something which they don't even, not only don't they know whether it exists, they don't even know how to know whether. So you can, any, anybody who doesn't know how to know, you can tell them anything you want and they, they'll believe you because they don't know how to even know whether you're right or not. Now, they may get pissed at you and, well, the, the the preponderance of the doctors think there's a rabies virus. <laughs> That's what they say. It that, exists by consensus. <laughs> yeah. And so if they say that, ask them, what percentage uh, of, of vets have to think it's true before it's true? 98. Okay, if I know one, then it's not true. Because I know one, he says it's not true. So that's one out of fifty. That's you know ninety or seven percent. So I'm so it turns out not to be true by that way of thinking. It, it's insane, which is why um, I I would assume that you have developed this new biology clinic. All right. So on your website, you say question everything, right? Question every. Thing, especially in the medical field. Um, so tell us about this new biology clinic, which I think is fabulous. Our listeners can go over to your site. They can become a member. And so first of all, Dr. Cowan, tell us about why you developed it, what people would get from becoming members of the new biology clinic. And I, in a nutshell, I would just think that they that they would actually be talking to somebody who knows how to think <laughs> and yeah, who has actually just, done the work. 
It's very simple. I, I've been working with, it, there's more than 20 heap doctors, by the way, or there's who, who know this or know most of it. And so I've been working with some and we decided that it was time to give people access to talking to them, you know, first online so that, you know, if anybody has questions about their health, they could talk to somebody who actually knows how to think about medicine. And, you know, then we, they, they work with them with movement and with food and, you know, just the same thing. It's, it's similar. Somebody comes in with a sick dog, you tell the dog how to eat and let the dog run around and, and don't emotionally abuse the dog, you know, and put it in a cage or stick pins in it or something. And most of the dogs are fine, I assume. Um, and same with people. So we're just trying to help people get out of that normal system and think about it properly and empower them with movement and food and, you know, simple things. It's, it's really a way of thinking because frankly, the alternative medicine is just as bad as the regular medicine. They think in exactly the same way and the freedom so-called community thinks exactly the same way. Because by the way, everybody, everything I said about viruses also applies to lab-leaked viruses. They don't exist. It's a sham. And so the, you, the so-called alternative health community, is they think exactly the same way. They just give you turmeric for your viral infections instead of who knows what. I have heard you say that before that they have bought the um it came from China it's a virus you know lab leak uh, I have heard you say that and so they're just giving you uh somebody else to blame uh besides Fauci I what guess What they're doing in a sense is you see if if we realize there's no virus and and, and if anybody is interested in why people get sick uh like like Ebola is a great example because we're talking about children and people who hemorrhage and then sometimes die. Now you can go down a list as long as your arm of reasons why people hemorrhage, malnutrition, arsenic poisoning, mercury poisoning, vaccine damage, beta lactam antibiotics, uh, you know, and on and on. None of them have anything to do with the virus. So that means that there, if you don't want to have people hemorrhaging to death, especially children, you're going to have to do something about those things, like lithium mining and mercury exposure and vaccines. So no, no, it's none of that. It's just a lab-leaked virus. So if you're a pharmaceutical mining corporation, these lab-leaked virus people are your best friends because they're the ones who are giving you the cover story. So nobody asks, are you sure it isn't those antibiotics that you sell over the counter in Rwanda oh or, or Ivory Coast? Are you sure it isn't the mass starvation and poisoning and GMO stuff and uh, DDT and and lead arsenic that we're dumping in 
in their rivers and deforesting them. You sure it isn't any? No, no. Let's just find the lab leak virus. These, these, they are the best friends of the perpetrators of of hemorrhaging children. Now, I don't know whether they're doing it knowingly. I doubt it, but I'm not. I don't get into motivation. What I get into is this is not. There is no evidence that there is any ability to create a lab-leaked pathogen. None. If you go and look for that lab-leak-created virus in the tissues of anybody with Ebola, you won't find it. It doesn't exist. It's a sham. And it's it's the best cover for the real problem, which is poison-starved, vaccinated children. And that's what they don't want you to find. And it's like they're in cahoots. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's all over the news. And we'll go on this. You know, it's like it's like the question of. So are these unicorns, are they uh, are they lab created invisible unicorns or natural invisible unicorns? (laughs) And you'll you'll have that argument for the next 50 years because there ain't no unicorns. And you'll never figure out whether they were natural or lab created. And they bamboozled all the alternative so-called freedom community right down the wire. <laughs> so so the very simply, it is stop poisoning yourself. Stop poisoning your pet. Feed yeah. it. Feed your body well. Stop giving processed foods. Get you one of these water wands at Dr. And emotional stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that right now. That's part uh, of starvation. The emotional you- uh, part of our world right now is 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 uh, nutty, nutty. Uh, we see it in our uh client base neely you see it when you do consultations i mean the the anxiety the fear is so amped up is so amped up it is it is nuts and the animals totally reflect that and absorb that yeah i mean i don't know if you know this but the uk they actually had cabinet level discussions about killing all the cats in the in the uk because one cat was diagnosed with so-called covid on a pcr test Yes. Oh my goodness. That's along with the jackfruit and the papaya and the distilled water and a whole lot of other things which are also diagnosed positive. So they were literally thinking of killing all of your cats uh because of a PCR test which can't possibly demonstrate the existence of a virus. And they're killing people's backyard chickens. Mm-hmm. And you you know, and vaccinating cows for God knows what. I, I mean, actually I actually had a customer contact me who said, How do you test for the avian flu in the raw food so my dog doesn't get the avian flu? And I text Neely and I said, How should I answer this? <laughs> there is no avian flu virus. I- that's what I said. There's, there's no <laughs> test. It's nonsense. 
you can all the only thing you you can do in my suggestion is you turn the question back to them. Can you send me a paper of how of the proper isolation of the avian flu virus from a sick chicken? Now they will show you a paper because there's ten thousand papers called the isolation of the virus. All of them are they take <clears throat> chicken stuff and put it on a cell culture. The cell culture cells die and they blame it on the virus. They never once saw a virus. They never separated a virus. They have no pictures of the virus. They have no genetic material that they know came from that virus. Nothing. They have nothing. Uh, it's like Stefan said, and he said, they asked him to summarize vi virology. And he thought for a minute and he said, they have nothing. <laughs> There's nothing. But, so, you know, that makes people so mad. It makes people so mad. So we, we do this and we turn it back this. around and we ask the question. And then they they lose their minds. And so <laughs> it's it's a it's it's it's. Yeah, but you say, why should you lose if this is so if this is so pervasive in the culture and right everybody knows it it should be easy for your vet to come up with a study right that's their job mm -hmm. is i'm supposed to look at the science and translate it for you and so as far as the avian flu here are 10 papers that show how we found that the avian flu is killing your chickens right it shouldn't take them three months to go and search the literature he should know that i mean that's if he's saying there's rabies caused by a virus he should be able to give you the three historical papers which i've looked at that show that that's true he doesn't why should he need to do research on this like that's what he's doing every single day and yet they won't they won't even know where to look so one question on the rabies that Dr. Jasek on our team wanted me to ask you, and she follows your work. She's totally on board. But she said, all right, what is it that they are saying is rabies that causes a dog to foam at the mouth that they are saying, see, there's rabies, the hydrophobia. Dogs that foam at the mouth are poisoned, afraid, and starved. And foaming at the mouth is a non-specific toxic symptom. Like if you poison people with mercury, uh, they foam at the mouth. It's a elimination channel. So they have increased salivation, and the saliva has has mercury and other toxic metals in it. So these dogs have been poisoned, and that's one of their elimination channels. Now, it's interesting because, you know, that what confuses people is like with sexually transmitted diseases, they see you get something. But it, it's very interesting when you go back and look at, at syphilis in the mid, mid to early 1800s. So they had this theory that sexual intercourse transmitted this disease called syphilis. So they would see people with rashes on their genitals, 
And they would say that must be a bacteria. So they give them mercury. And the mercury comes out in the vaginal secretions and in the semen. And so then if you're a prostitute and you're exposed to a lot of people who are using prostitutes and therefore have gotten sores on their genitals, they're given mercury, which makes them have sores in their genitals. And the mercury comes out in the semen so that the female prostitute is now exposed in her vagina to mercury. Right? Right. And then she gets a sore. Oh, transmitted the disease. I mean, in a sense, that is a kind of transmission. Right? Like if you have saliva that's full of mercury or arsenic, and you drink it, so you give it to somebody else to drink, that may look like contagion. It's not contagion. It's a simply another way of being exposed to a similar toxin. So that's so then those prostitutes were also had sores, which and they had exposure to mercury, and then they would give it to the next person, and he would be exposed to mercury and get a sore. And then he would be given more mercury. And then the whole thing just went like that. So you can easily be fooled with thinking something, you know, the the, the way to think of this is just ask, so the principle is similar uh, animals or people who get the same symptoms at the same time. Does that prove it's contagious? So just imagine you have 100 rats in your basement and you put rat poison down there. 10 rats die the next day. They all bleed to death, liver failure, et cetera. And then the next day, 10 more rats. Next day, 20 more rats. Next day, they're all dead. By that thinking, rat poison must be a contagious virus. They were poisoned similarly by the same agent, and that's what happened. So just recently, uh, so our daughter, who's a vet, she, um, two of her daughters, sick, diarrhea, vomiting. And so she's saying, you know, they're passing it back and forth. I say, so my husband was going uh, there, and he decided not to go. And I said, look. It's it's more something that's in the house. It's more some they're getting poisoned in some yeah. way. So would you say, all right, maybe you don't go there because then you might get poisoned as well. But it's not you're passing the flu around or you're passing a virus around. Yeah, there's no microbial infection. I mean, there may be something in the house or in the food that's, you know, not agreeing with them or emotional. There's, you know, starvation poisoning, delusions, and injuries. That's what causes people to get sick. Uh, interestingly, there was an interesting study of, of, of the transmission of the flu. So they took people and they squirted, they took people with the flu, they sucked out their mucus and squirted it out people's nose and saw how many got sick. And about 10% of them got sick. So the first people had the flu, and the second people didn't, and they got 10% got sick. Then they did it with saline, and they, they squirted the saline up their nose, and about 15% of the people got sick. So in other words, 
more people get sick when you squirt a placebo up their nose than if you squirt uh, the secretions from somebody with the flu up their nose, which suggests, doesn't prove, but suggests, which should be studied, that actually being exposed to somebody who's sick, given that you're like the sort of nocebo effect, like it's like bone pointing, like you're going to get sick, because uh, they told them they were going to try to make them sick, but they didn't tell them what they were going to give them. 15% will get sick just from thinking they're going to get sick. Except if you actually expose them to the flu, then it goes down to 10%. <laughs> so something about being around people who are, if you think you're going to get sick, you've got like a 15% chance you'll get sick. But if you expose yourself to somebody who is sick, it goes down to 10% because something in there probably helps you not get sick. Which is sort of what happened with this whole quote unquote COVID, right? People were less like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get sick. So they yeah. sort of manufactured a sickness. Yes. Fear and anxiety, lies, delusions. That's why the... In, to, in some ways, the number one risk factor for getting sick is delusional thinking. Because you, you've got yourself convinced that there's a world out there that doesn't exist, in which case you're going to appropriately live in a state of fear because you can't see it. You don't know who's going to do it to you. And so your appropriate response is to be wary and and that makes you sick people think the natural world is trying to kill them and the government's trying to save them how about yeah, right. that exactly that's so if you think you're you're a, you're a quote risk factor <laughs> Well, I know that we we uh, have gone over time. I mean, we could literally talk to you all day. It's just so fascinating. But I want people to go and listen to your in-depth information about germ theory versus terrain theory. I think that would really help them. Where is the best place for listeners to go see your videos, hear your podcast? I, I think if they go to drtomcowan.com, then there's links to the BitChute channel, which I don't know where that is exactly, but uh, they'll probably find it from there. And if they can't, they can contact customer service and get all the, I've done a hundred webinars now. I know. I know. Neely and I were like, I'm sure he doesn't want to talk about germ and terrain theory. He He's probably gagging yeah, so having to talk I, about it yeah. one more time. <laughs> And we wanted to hear about the cats anyway. I'm excited about the goats. You got to post post stuff yeah, um, on the goats too. I love goats. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting because we've never had goats. But well, what's the point? What's the what's the main objective to having goats, or the main purpose to have goats? I'm sorry. I mean, we may breed the little girl next year, maybe, but it's just to have more life in the in around the home oh goats are goats are super fun they're yeah. like mischievous and into everything yeah. but they're so much fun i've heard they're really naughty which is good yeah <laughs> they'll yeah. probably be You'll up on it. your barn <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, so thank yeah it's you know a little bit manure maybe but you know that's 
it's mostly just because it's it's just so interesting hanging around animals now i I don't know why i never did it before but well better late than never pumpkin changed your your heart and your focus and your energy he did he did that's awesome now i want everybody else to know too for our pet parents dr cowan's garden a great place to go and get clean whole food um, I love um, all of the things that you have over there. I've seen Neely's Kitchen. She has a ton of your stuff there. Um, but a there's a shelf of vegetable powders. <laughs> yeah. Great. yeah. Yeah. Very good right. stuff. So Dr. Yeah, Cowan's we're, we're using, you know, uh, I'm very particular about what we've and Our cats love your stuff. I mean, it's like you say, it's a little tricky, which one, because they don't like anything always. There's, no, they don't. And people, people want to get one thing for their cats. And I'm like, that will not work, right? Yeah, Number no one, you've got to feed them a variety of things and they will help you know. But most people, you know, have house cats and they, I don't know. I, everybody has this concept that you can, because it's big food, big pharma, that you can feed one thing to an yeah. animal for their entire life and they'll be healthy. And it just yeah, doesn't work see, that way. Yeah, I don't see and nobody, nobody seems to realize that each individual animal has individual tastes, just like people do too. So, you yeah. know, some of them, some dogs like this and don't like that. And that's their prerogative to not like it. If they don't like it, do give them something else. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. That's so we, we give them, we vary it and mix some venison and liver and hearts and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, you do it right. And they forage for themselves. Yes. Go get that mouse pumpkin. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. Thank paid you. paid a lot of money here. Gotta- <laughs> That's right. <laughs> thank you guys so much for um, listening to the podcast. Get over to Dr. Tom Cowan.com. Get your dogs on a species appropriate diet. Get over to raw dog food and co.com where your pet's health is our business. And friends, don't let friends feed kibble. We'll see you soon, everybody. Bye-bye. Oh, snap. Find out how you can start your dog on the road to health and longevity. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com, where friends don't let friends feed kibble and where your pet's health is our business. Just snap.